Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Well, I apologize for that. Hey, if you got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. And tonight, we will continue a study that we started last night, uh, understanding godliness. What does it mean to be godly? And in a world where, especially in a Christian world, where we like to put together checklists and say, oh, I'm godly because I do this, or I'm godly because I do this, God tells us that it's important to exercise or to discipline ourselves in a manner of godliness. We saw last week that godliness comes to a place in my life, it's simple, when I can look at my life and say, oh, I'm thankful for this activity I'm about to do. So if I'm going to um, go and eat at a buffet, can I thank the Lord for this? If I'm going to rob a bank, can I thank the Lord for that activity? If I'm doing something that would violate the Lord so I cannot give thanks in that behavior, then it's a behavior that is ungodly, because in everything I'm to give thanks. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, the scripture says this, but refuse profane and old wise fables. Now that's so important, and this is what we talked about last week. It's important that we're not just saying, oh, my mother told me this, or my grandmother told me this, or this is a tradition that we have always learned or observed, and so this is what makes a person godly. Godliness, cleanliness is next to godliness. You may have heard that. Or an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So all these different things that we may or may not have heard in the past are not necessarily biblical. So God says, refuse traditions, refuse old fables, refuse things that have nothing to do with what I say. And now he tells us this at the end of verse number seven, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Oh, so there is a discipline. Godliness is not something that just comes magically, poof, now I'm godly. There has to be exercise, there has to be effort put in to observing God-like behavior. In verse number eight, the Bible says, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable. And I want you to see these last three words of that phrase, but godliness is profitable unto what? How many things? Now, this is really important. Very few things in life will you do that profit everything. Let me say it one more time. Very few things in life that you do will have a profit across the board. Bodily exercise profiteth little, the Bible says. So there is a benefit to it. But very few things in your life are going to have a 100% net benefit when you participate in that activity. Okay? Let's say you go on a hunting trip with your father. Great. You go on a hunting trip with your father. Was that good things there? Yes. But there was a net negative with your family back home. Oh, okay. You decide that you're going to go and um, invest in this stock. Okay. That might profit something, but there's always going to be another place where there's another opportunity. So there's very few places in life where if you do this, it raises the bar, boop, it, it, it puts it up next level. Look at what the scripture says. Don't miss this. It says, godliness profiteth unto how many things? 
all things. Now, before we get into a place that we're so heavenly-minded, believing that, well, that's good, observing the Lord and doing what the Lord wants me to do and following in the actions of God, that is good, and someday I will reap it. Notice where the Lord says, you find a reaping when you live in a godly manner. Look what the Bible says. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. God says this, there are very few things in life that are going to have a net benefit here. Whoop, I go up a level. And in heaven, whoop, it has benefit that is long-term. So godliness is obviously one of those things that is universal. So if I can observe godliness, now I want to show you a couple of things as I was looking through this and I, I was studying, I found a guy who wrote out some of these thoughts and I was looking at the word of God and found some thoughts. I want you to see that godliness, as we understand godliness, is always profitable. The Bible tells us that it comes in all ways, even in this world and the world to come. Notice that it has carnal profit. When we say carnal profit, we're not talking about things that are nefarious or evil. Carnal profit is that which is tangible. I can pinch it. I can touch it. I can smell it. I can taste it. I can feel it. This world is carnal. That's okay. We all are, we all are carnal. Your hair is carnal. Uh, the lack thereof is carnal. The, the, every, your shoes are carnal. If it's tangible, it's physical, it's touchable, it is carnal. Okay? Notice the carnal uh, profit. Uh, it helps your business to do well. Now, I don't know what your business is. You could have a number of different occupations in this room. I could probably say there's 50, 60 different things that we do to make a living. But I want you to see how in business, by the way, business is not against the Lord. The Bible says this, that Jesus' first words, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth were this, I must be about my father's business. The first one's recorded in scripture, I must be about my father's business. So business and understanding how to do things, what your life does. Now notice how God says the carnal matters will be lifted up when I observe godliness. Look what the Bible says. Just 10 things I want to share with you. Godliness, when I observe it in my life, will help me to go the second mile. Have you ever seen somebody just go above and beyond? I love a server, a waiter or a waitress, that always keeps my glass full. I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. I think it's when I was a kid, we went to the Golden Corral. And the Golden Corral was the first place where they had unlimited refills. And there were five of us kids, so we very rarely got sodas. We would go Golden Corral, kids' prices, good prices, buy one adult, get the second one, get the free. We got that, and it was five waters. It was always five waters. But every once in a while, Dad would let me get a soda. And when I got a soda, we didn't have a whole lot of soda because my brother was allergic to soda, my sisters were allergic to soda. I was the only one who was allowed to drink soda. So if there was soda in the house, oh, I was down in that stuff. I loved it. And I remember thinking, I'm going to drink as much soda as I possibly can. And whenever that lady came, filled it up, downed it. Whenever she came back, would you like another Mountain Dew? Yes, I would. <laughs> downed it. And it would not be uncommon for me as a 10 or 11-year-old to have five or six sodas at a thing because I was loading myself up before the next two weeks where we would go back to the, but where we would go back to the Golden Corral. There's something for me when a server always has that drink full. Always has it full. They're just going above and beyond. Have you ever seen somebody that goes above and beyond? We call it the second mile. 
In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41, now notice what God says that this happens in business. And whosoever shall compel thee to go with thee a mile, go with him twain. This is godliness. Godliness does not settle for the status quo. You ever heard this phrase? C's get degrees. Well, I just, well, I got a C. I made it through. Godliness says if you're capable of reaching this standard and you are allowing yourself to settle for mediocrity, then you have not been godly. Customer service. Customer service means I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm not just going to meet the status quo, but Christian behavior, godly behavior says I will go the second mile in whatever status I have been given. In my business, notice, godliness will help me exceed. You will go back to a restaurant. You will visit a hotel. You will patron a uh, business if they go the extra mile for you. It's godliness. What does it do? It profits in all areas. Notice what godliness does in business as well. The Bible teaches us to treat people well. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also likewise to them. How many of you like get rip, uh, getting ripped off? How many of you hate it when you talk to, for me, it's, it's mostly mechanics, okay? I'm not a very mechanical person by nature. And so if somebody comes up to me and they're like, and, and the check engine light comes on, and I take it to a mechanic and he'll say, well, you know, the, the whiz bame zoomy is broken and you're going to have to get a, a three millimeter, two bit flux capacitor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it is 2024. Those things are around now. Doc's made it big. Um, okay, and how much will that be? And I almost think that sometimes they look at me and it's for a normal person, it's like $350, but they're like 600. Oh, well, I'm going to cut you a deal. I'll do it for 575. Thank you. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I feel, I just feel very vulnerable when I'm talking to those people. Whenever I go and get the oil changed and I have somebody else do the oil change for me because I don't know about those things. So when I go to the terrible herbs or I go to the Valvoline and I get the oil changed and they say, Would you, you're, you're due for a new one of these, I always say no. It's been 200,000 miles since, nope, don't want it. Would you like a new windshield? Nope, don't want it. You know why? I just don't trust them. I just have this thing. And how many of you are like me like that? You're just like, I don't trust these people. They're going to get me. The Bible teaches, but when you find somebody that treats you well and you trust them, they might even be overcharging you, but you don't mind being overcharged if you're going to be treated well. There are certain things in my life where I will pay a little bit more because I trust the people that I'm doing with. Um, a few years ago, I bought my house, and the people that I bought my house through, they offered me an insurance package, and the insurance package for my my home was going to save me about $80 to $100 a year if I was going to go with them. And I'd been with my same insurance provider for, oh, I don't know, probably six or seven years at that time. I can't remember exactly. And I showed the bid to my insurance provider, and my insurance provider said, well, I can't beat their price, but I'll tell you this, um, no one's going to be a better customer service representative to you than I will be. I stayed with my homeowner's insurance company. You know why? Because though it may have saved me 10 bucks a month to go with ABC insurance provider, whenever I was having a problem last month and the roof fell in, I was so thankful that I could call my insurance guy and say, hey, I got a problem. And he fixed it 
within 45 minutes. Awesome. You know why? Because he learned the principle of treating people well. When you treat people as you would have men do unto you, do, them to, uh, do also to them likewise, it's not just a good business principle. What is it? It is godliness. Godliness goes the extra mile. Godliness treats people well. It does this in business. I got eight more of these. It's so good. There's a higher goal than profit. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Wouldn't it be interesting to find out what a person's opinion is of uh, a rich fellow? How do you know you are rich? It's a good question. I asked that question to a person at one time. They said, well, making $100,000. If you make $100,000 in a year, you are rich. I asked another person, he said, when you can buy a new car, a brand new car, another guy told me, he said, I'll feel rich when I'm able to buy my own plane. Oh, that's interesting. So a plane might make somebody rich. Buying your own island might make somebody rich, right? Maybe you get a name, a building with a name on it, okay? If our, if our goal in life is profit, if that's our goal in life, we're missing it out. Because what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Who cares if your name's on a building? Like, literally, you can drive downtown. The Mob Museum, I went to the Mob Museum about three weeks ago with our family. Awesome place. I encourage you, go visit the Mob Museum if you get a chance. They're having a locals free day sometime soon. Go visit the Mob Museum. Do you know that 50 years ago, it wasn't the Mob Museum. Somebody else's name, likeness, some, something else was on that name. Um, do you remember when the Bellagio, do you remember who built the Bellagio? Well, Steve Wynn, he was in charge, but then, oh, fell out of favor with the board of directors, so he had to get kicked down the street so that he could put his name on another building. And somebody's name's going to be on a different building, and somebody's name's going to be on a different uh, title to your house. What's it profit? So here's what the goal is. The Bible says, use your profit for something higher. If your job is just about making a buck, then you've really missed out. About 10 years ago, there was a shoe company that started making these canvas shoes called Toms. Does anyone know what a Toms is? And the goal of Toms was, they said, we're going to sell you these cheap canvas shoes that probably cost $5 or so to make. We're going to sell you these shoes for 60 bucks. But if you buy a pair of our Tom shoes, we will give a pair of Tom shoes to somebody who doesn't have a pair of shoes. And they're their, their uh, sales went skyrocketing. So these cheap canvas shoes were flying off of the stores in places like Macy's and Nordstrom's and Saks Fifth Avenue's, high-end stores, because they equated something higher than just do it. They equated something higher, a more noble purpose, and people bought into the higher purpose and it also became a fashion statement that shows that I am virtue signaling and better than you because I buy Tom's shoes, okay? So that's all part of our social media, but there is a purpose that is tied to it. What is your life for? Your business becomes better if you are not just creating a widget or selling a product or marketing and whatever. Your business, your life becomes more noble when you are tied to something higher. What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world, godliness has a more noble process, a more noble motive than just profit. Number four, 
be realistic and authentic. Neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communications be yea, yea, nay, yea, a nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. What does godliness do in business in this manner? It teaches us to be realistic and authentic. Have you ever seen somebody try to sell something, and when you got it, it was a disappointment? Have you ever bought something for $19.95 on a as-seen-on-TV? This will change your life. And when it comes in the mail, you thought, this is not going to change my life. This is not fixing it. Why? Because somebody over-promised and what? Under-delivered. Have you ever been in a place where maybe a restaurant and they said, it's going to be 45 minutes? 45 minutes? Well, if we leave here and go someplace else, be 45, we'll just stay here. And you've waited an hour? Oh, I don't like that. I really don't like that. Have you ever had that over-promise and under-deliver? You know what business says? Godliness in business says this, be realistic and authentic. Don't promise the moon unless you're Elon Musk and have an opportunity to get there. Don't give out promises that are not valid. Be realistic and be authentic. People like to be treated squarely. I just want to be straight with you. So if I'm going to be straight with you, in every area, with your kids, this is going to be the greatest weekend ever. With your spouse, we're going to have the best Valentine's Day ever. I'm never going to do this. I promise I'll be home at five. Be realistic and be authentic. This is godliness. This is what godly behavior does. It doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. Jesus never overpromised. Wouldn't you be disappointed if you got to heaven and there was a bunch of barracks? Wouldn't that be I mean, wouldn't that be a little disappointing? I mean, it's a nice room about this size and there's cots and bunk beds everywhere. I mean, you'd be glad you're not in hell. <laughs> You'd be like, uh, I was looking for the mansions. <laughs> Would you like hell? Ah! No, I'll stay here. All right? So you, you'd be thankful that you were in barracks in heaven. You'd be thankful for that. But that's not what the Bible word uses. He says, in my father's house are many what? Mansions. There's an expectation that a place that has so much wealth that they pave the streets with gold is going to have nice accommodations for its residents. It, it's the inhabitation of the king of kings and lord of lords. So there's an expectation that it's not just a couple of cots thrown together with military-grade scratchy blankets. It's, it's a nice place to be, right? God doesn't overpromise and underliver. When we are godly, we are realistic and authentic. I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be straight with you. This is what's really going to happen. How do I know that I'm being godly? I develop an ownership mentality. One of the most successful men I know is a man by the name of Arlen Horton. I sat with him in church a couple of weeks ago in Florida. Arlen Horton built the largest uh, Christian book distributing company in the entire world. They, there is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it would not be an exaggeration to say billions of dollars that have flown through the enterprises that he has created. So I was sitting with him in church the other day, and I was, as I was talking to him, he's about 94 years old now, uh, him and his wife and my daughter and I were talking to him, I was struck by the fact that I saw him when I was in college. I was about 18, 19 years old, and at that time he was about 68, 69 years old. And here he was, this incredible 
businessman, this man, Christian entrepreneur leader. And I watched him as he was walking across the commons, which is where all of the students would hang out. And he reached down and he picked up a piece of trash. And he put it in his pocket and he kept walking. And I remember thinking, he should be paying somebody to do that. Well, he was, people like me, he was paying college students to do that. But on that day, he did not want his campus to be tarnished with that piece of litter. He has an ownership mentality about that entire place. In fact, his name are on some of the buildings there because he built that place. Here's where godliness comes in. Rather than just being a steward, a hired servant of things, if I'm going to adopt godliness in my life, the Bible says his Lord said unto him, this is the parable of the five talents, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee a ruler over many things. Now check this out. This is a really good phrase. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, the joy of the Lord, it does have a duplicitous meaning. It has the meaning of you get the favor of God, but it talks about the joy of the Lord is the idea of you get to enjoy the benefits of ownership. That's a cool thing. I remember when I paid off my car the first time a couple of years ago, and I remember thinking, this car is all mine. I don't have to pay $383 anymore to that bank. This is mine. What a joy it is not to be just somebody who's renting, but somebody who owns something, to own something of value. Here, God shares a wonderful principle. When you are godly, you develop an ownership mentality rather than a manager mentality. Oh, it doesn't matter to me. That's somebody else's problem. Oh, it doesn't matter to me. My shift is almost over. Oh, it doesn't matter to me. I've got to go on vacation. An owner is consumed with what is happening in front of him. Why? Because it's his. It's his name that's on it. When we talk about ministry, when we talk about church, all of us should have an ownership mentality. When we talk about uh, the place of business that we work, you and I must develop an ownership mentality. Not, you know, my ship. Have you ever seen somebody just shut down? I was in a government building yesterday at, at 357. And doors shut at 4 o'clock. Have you ever been in a government building when the doors shut at 4 o'clock? There's not a whole lot of great customer service happening there by our public servants, are there? In fact, they were just hustling people through and hustling people through, and they didn't care, and they just... And, and the, the language and the, the appropriateness and the demeanor in which they were talking to the customers there was just not... Um, amiable. Let's say that. It wasn't five-star. I wasn't confused if I was at the Ritz-Carlton or not. I, I knew exactly where I was because it was four o'clock and everybody was going down. I think sometimes that us as Christians, we neglect godliness and we don't have an ownership mentality. Ownership is a godly behavior. Number next, think bigger and ask. It is godly to be ambitious. Now, it's tempered with contentment. It is godly, though, to be ambitious. Look at this scripture, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages, world without end. Amen. Check it out. God desires for you to be ambitious, to think big. Not be satisfied with the status quo. 
I get frustrated from time to time when people will say things like this. Well, it's never going to change. It's always been this way. Have you ever heard this phrase? It is what it, it, is, what it is. It's just the way it's going to be. It's always going to be this way. God challenges that. And godly behavior takes an attitude that thinks bigger and is willing to ask for more than the status quo. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live just a status quo life. I want to live an exceptional life because I serve an exceptional God. Not that my life is, or I'm of any great circumstance or of any great value, but I do know this, God's given me 70, and if by reason of strength I live to be 80 years old, I want to use those years. I want to invest my life. I want to, I want to have a purposeful meaning with my life. And so God says this, that's okay. That's good. Don't be the person who's satisfied just watching the prices right and doing crossword puzzles. You got more in you than that. You have more to give. You have more to invest. And the person that sits back and has allowed themselves to be consumed with whatever idle uh, chatter, I, I challenge you to think bigger and ask for God to do something through you. See, in this room, there are champions for Christ. This is not just a cultural, traditional thing that we must go through. It's not just an obligation that we have to fulfill. You are quite literally a champion for Jesus Christ. God wants to use your life for an eternal difference, to make an impact on eternity, not just to make a few bucks, not just to be a consumer of a credit card or a, a motor vehicle corporation. God wants you to think bigger. When was the last time about how your life could be used bigger? Now, I think, again, it's a great balance. It's a great balance because oftentimes we start to think bigger and we forget our day-to-day -day priorities. Have you ever seen somebody do that? They, they think, well, I want to get over there, and they forget to make their bed, <laughs> or they forget that they have responsibilities and paying their debts right now and taking care of the business. So you trust the process, but as you trust the process, don't be confined. You've got a God who created giraffes and duck-billed platypuses and was able to fill a couple of oceans pretty fill and make a couple of continents and, and several planets. Oh, and a universe. He's a big God. He can do great things. So think big. This is godliness. And ask. Adapt to generational uh, excuse me, it says adapt. It should be adopt a generational vision. Adopt a generational vision. Let thine eyes look right on and thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to thy right hand nor to thy left. Remove thy foot from evil. What is the, what is the godly vision here? The godly vision is here to not just look and say here, but here and here and here is where I want to go. I don't want to just see my family do well. I want to see my kids' families do well, my kids' families do well, and my kids' kids' families do well. One of the saddest stories in the Bible is told of a good king. His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah becomes sick. And in his sickness, the prophet comes into him, and he says to him, Hezekiah, the Lord's told me you're going to die. And Hezekiah says, I want to die? Well, sorry. The Lord says you're going to die. And so Hezekiah, he gets in his bed. The Bible tells us, and he turns his face to the wall. He says, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And God gives him 15 years. 
awesome. The Bible tells us that within those 15 years, he makes some grave mistakes. In those grave mistakes, the same prophet comes to him and says, bro, you messed up. There's going to be judgment. Oh, no, there's going to be judgment, but it's not going to come in your day. It's going to come in your kid's day. And the good king says, oh, well, good, as long as it's not going to mess me up. In, in not, that's not King James, <laughs> you understand? <laughs> but the idea is like, oh, so, as long as I'm okay. One of the wonderful things about our country is that there was a generational focus. When men like John Adams signed their names to the Declaration of Independence, they were saying, for, for not just me, but I want our kids and I want our posterity to be able to enjoy the freedoms. I don't want them to live as vassals to a king all of their lives. I want them to be free men. Whoa, you respect that, don't you? Man, I respect that. I was asked today, my son asked me about George Washington. And George Washington did one of the most singular, humble, and self, um, self-effacing events in all of human history. George Washington, whenever he was inaugurated as president and then again he was reelected, could have very well gone in for a third term and he would have been elected in a landslide vote as the third term president. And it shocked the entire country whenever Washington gathered together and he gave his farewell address. It used to be required reading excuse me, required memorizations in our public school up until 1963 that children would memorize the Declaration of Independence and Washington's farewell address because both of those are just tremendous documents. And Washington in his address, I'll probably talk about this a little bit on Sunday, Washington in his farewell address said, I'm not here to be a king. We gave up being a king. Somebody else is going to have to take it after them. You know what he did? He adopted a generational vision. What are the patterns, what are the traditions that are in your life that God wants you not just to leave for your time, but to leave for a generation? I was having dinner with a young man the other day, and he had a a gold ring on his hand. I said, tell me about that gold ring. He said, whenever I turned 21, my dad gave me this gold ring, and it's our family crest. I said, you have a family crest? He said, well, he made this, and it showed me the symbols on it. He showed me on one side of the symbol there was a lamb, and on the other side of the symbol there was a lion. And he said that God desires for us to be followers, but he also desires for us to be fierce. And as, and he mentioned his last name, as our family, we're going to be followers and we're going to be fierce. And every time you wear that ring, I want you to remember who you are. Wow! You know what he's doing? He's adopting a generational vision. His dad is 55, 56 years old. He has 14, 24 years if he's strong. By, By reason of strength, he makes it to 80. Okay, but he understands... Here's a young man who's 25, and he's going to have kids, and those kids are going to have kids. Adopt a generational vision. Let thine eye woods. Um, and be a work in progress. This is so good. Focus on the process, not just the goal. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you know that there's a time when it's just good to send it? This is good because you will never find perfection. How many of you are perfectionists? Is there anybody in here that's a perfectionist? Yeah, you're the kind of person that's like, my closet is done this way, my socks are done this way, I need it to have this way, it needs to look this way, I love Excel spreadsheets, <clears throat> they're my favorite thing to do, I just want to do something, put me behind a computer with my blue light glasses, oh, I am good for another week, okay? That's awesome if that's you, okay? 
For you, one of the things that business does is realizes there's a time when it's just time to send. Okay, you're not going to get to perfection. Good, it's, it's good enough at this juncture. Well, I feel like if we, I feel if we do, I feel, nope, it's time to go. That's why it's good to work on time clocks. And it's good to work within a time frame because by this time, doesn't matter where it is, it's got to meet the deadline. Work in progress. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, it's not exactly right. You're not always seeking perfection. You are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what all these things shall be added unto you. You invest in future leaders for we are his workmanship. When I take a godly approach to business, I invest in future leaders. I don't use people for my own profit. I'm investing so that somebody else can take my place. Oh, what a great goal. Somebody else is going to fill this void. Invest in future leaders. Why? The Bible says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Christ Jesus didn't just come to do good works. He invested in you and I so that we could do good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in well. Finish at, uh, finish at well done, not perfection. This is good. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord shall receive the reward of inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Finish at well done, not perfection. That's the one for the perfectionists here. That's the one. Well, it's not perfect. Finish at well done, <laughs> not perfection. Well, well done ruined a stake, but it's, it's good enough to send oftentimes, okay? Godliness will not just help business in the way that I work and I appropriate myself with other people. It will also help me in business, or excuse me, in my family. Can I give you four things about family? Number one, it will help my awareness. Godliness helps me in my awareness of my family. I love this. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be ye not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight. I love this. I love this phrase. This is something that just really challenged me as I was reading through this. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Isn't that good? Now, in the context of this, it's Nehemiah building a wall. There's a very real present and uh, dangerous threat that can take their lives. Nehemiah gives instructions. As you're doing this, he tells them, okay, I want you to be aware, be afraid, but you're here to fight. You're here to fight for who? Your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your, wa uh, your wives, and your houses. That is so good. When I have godliness in my family, it creates an awareness that I truly am in a struggle. I truly am in a fight. And in this struggle and in this fight, I'm not, I, I have to be willing to fight for the people that are close to me. Godliness. Well, I don't want to make waves. I don't want things to get difficult. If I start interacting here, if I start confronting this, it's going, no, sometimes with your children, it's a fight. Sometimes with your uh, in-laws, it's a fight. There are things worth fighting for. And the passive approach is not always. Remember, Jesus was the turnover tables Jesus. He was the turnover tables Jesus. He had a right to turn over the tables. None of those Pharisees could say, I must be about my father's business. You turn my father's house into a den of thieves. Nobody else could do that. But Jesus goes in. He's like, what do you think you're doing? Oh, two pigeons for a shekel. Yeah, I got something for you. Get them out of here. Can you imagine the pigeons flying off and the feathers going everywhere and perhaps all of the pigeon mess being scattered? Oh, the temple, the temple. And then he takes that whip and he starts smacking some folks. And perhaps some little Pharisees like, I've never seen. Oh, and he gets a little smack right on the back. 
back end, and Jesus is like, get out of here. You're not helping out at all. Well, I've never. Well, maybe you should sometime. And they're just driving everybody out, and as they're driving everybody out, the Lord was a fighter. He was a fighter. He was somebody that was willing to fight for that which was his or that which, his fam- which belonged to his family. Oh, there are times when I have to fight, and there's an awareness that I have to fight. Number two, godliness helps me set boundaries. For it is a pleasant thing if thou wilt keep them within thee, for they withal have... Um, I think I gave her the wrong scripture. That might be Psalm 22. is supposed to be there. There has to be a, a set of boundaries that is set in your life. It can't just be, oh, it's a free-for-all. No, there's boundaries that come into my life. There's communication. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him, the Bible says. He that heareth or, or answereth a matter. You ever heard somebody who has an answer to your problem before you finish talking? That's so interesting. Oh, um, honey, I just need to let you know what happened. Bottom line, bottom line, tell me the bottom line. And they died. Okay. <laughs> the, the ability to communicate in a godly manner. Notice how godly communication works. Godly communication works when he that answereth a matter before he heareth it is folly. He's not godly. Well, God has given me so much wisdom and the experience of my youth and the age that I'm now at has brought me to a place where I don't even need to listen to you. I already have the answer. It is folly and a shame unto him. What is godliness? In the family, godliness brings communication. What else does godliness bring? Godliness brings discipline. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word nurture is the idea of discipline. It's a swat on the behind. That's what nurture is. Admonition is telling that kid how not to get a swat the next time. So nurture and admonition in the Lord. This is discipline. These are all godly behaviors. So when we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it says in verse number, uh, verse number 8, that it is profitable unto all things. This is godliness. Now check out the prophet. We just went through 15 or so different principles. This profits. Why? When I am godly. Godliness profits all things. So I must have a godly behavior. Well, how do I know all the godly behavior? You exercise yourself to it. You don't fall into the traditions of old wise fables and the traditions of men. No, you exercise and you exercise and you work to know godliness. How does God want me to act in this manner? How does God want me to act in this manner? How does God act, want me to act in this manner? It is, a, it is an abolition of the consumer Christianity that is so prevalent in our culture. Well, that didn't make me feel good. I didn't enjoy that environment. This makes me more happy. No, it goes affront to that because it says Christianity is something you are working in. Christianity is something that you are working towards. Not your salvation, but it is a behavior. It's a lifestyle that must adopt godly behavior. How do I know what godly behavior is? I work at it. I work at it, and it benefits, or it brings benefit to all things. Now, notice the celestial prophet. How does it benefit me in heaven? Notice this, point number one, it brings me, godliness brings a place to where I am casting crowns. What do you mean casting crowns? Look what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 10. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 10. The Bible says, For four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat at the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy O Lord, to receive glory and honor 
for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. I had a teenager ask me this morning, why does it matter if we do good things or bad things if we're all going to heaven? It's a good question, isn't it? Is that a good question? Why does it matter? I mean, I can basically do whatever I want if I'm going to heaven. Have you ever heard somebody share something like that in the past? I have. It's not the first time I've been asked that question. You know what this passage shows us? This passage shows us that there's a, a celebration that's going to happen. You ever gone to a birthday party and didn't know it was a birthday party? Like, oh, we just, oh, it's a birthday party. And you didn't have a present? And while they're opening up all the presents and they're, and they're opening like, oh, look, you can be a winner at the game of life. And they open up their new life game and they look at you and you're like, I'm a loser at the game of life. And they, they bring out their G.I. Joes or their My Little Ponies and you didn't have anything because you didn't know it was a birthday present. Could you imagine going to a birthday present and this big celebration to honor that person and you don't have a present? That's what the judgment seat of Christ will be. So when we live for the Lord, there is godliness. There are crowns, the Bible says, that we retain to our account. I don't know how that all works in God's economy, just to be honest with you. I really, I, I don't know, cha-ching, cha-ching, you do this, ching I don't know how that all works. I just don't. But I do know this, that the Bible tells us that we receive crowns when we get to heaven. What do we do with those crowns? Do we wear them? Wouldn't that be awkward? Somebody who's really good, like the Apostle Paul, he's got a crown storage bin back there. <laughs> he's like, oh, those are my Thursday crowns. I keep those back there. Those are my uh, Hanukkah crowns, you know, whatever they do up in heaven. And, and he's got this, and then there's people like me, and we're walking around and trying to borrow somebody's crown. Hey, you got two. Give me one. And there's this, but there's a time when we take those crowns, and we don't just walk around with those crowns on our head to show, like, stripes or, or marks of our own bounty. We take those crowns, and the Bible tells us that we cast them at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he is worthy. And it doesn't matter who you are, you'll not have enough crowns to give Jesus what he deserves. But we do earn. There is, there is profit in heaven. It brings glory to the eternal. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 3, if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from afar. The idea is that we want to bring glory to God. There is eternal glory. He showed them a pure water of life. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, I won't take time to read all of this, but the Bible tells us, and they shall reign forever and ever. I want to be part of something. When I live godly, I'm investing in something that is more than me. It's more than the temporary. It has a yield that lasts for all of eternity. Notice this. This is interesting. We won't take a lot of time, but on Sunday, we're going to speak to this just a little bit too. There is adversity present. In verse number... Verse number... Nine, the Bible says, and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach. Now that makes, that, that, that's a hard one because we understand that we're going to labor. We're going to labor because work is hard. Why is work hard? Because man sinned. And so since the beginning, near the beginning of time, let me say it this way, since near the beginning of time, man, sin has brought a curse upon us to where we work and we have to work and work is hard. It's not, when you go to work, it's not just like, oh, da, 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 da. Oh, I'm at work today. And when it's 4.45, you're not like, can I stay an extra hour? No, for free. You're, you're not doing that because work is work. Work is hard. And so the Bible tells us that there's labor in godliness. 
There's a curse, but there's also a cause for it. Notice this. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of him that which is good? But be ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid. Now, this is interesting because there is an adversary, there's adversity that is present whenever you live godly. When you live godly, it's not always rainbows, ponies, and flowers. It's work, and not only is it work, but the Bible tells us in verse number 10 that they shall suffer reproach. Why? Because we trust in the living God. And who is he that will harm you if you followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Oh, I, I suffer for dumb things I do. You ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night? You know why that happened? Not because you were doing something righteous. It's because you're a dummy like me. We stub our toes. We do dumb things. Oh, Lord, why did you let that happen? Well, you're a dummy. That's why that happened. Okay? So, but when we have... a a slight against us for righteousness sake, the Bible tells us, happy are ye. There's a satisfaction that comes with this. This is one of the craziest verses, John chapter 7 and verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth because I testify of it, and the works thereof are evil. You know what that shows us? It shows us this, that getting likes isn't the most important thing in my life. In a world that is enamored with that which is trending, Have you driven the Strip this week? If you haven't, let me encourage you, you need to go just drive up and down the Strip one time this week. And the reason you should do it is because we have a Super Bowl here. And with all of the crazy things we've seen, I drove the Strip yesterday. It's really cool. I mean, how often do you go to a Super Bowl city and get to see all of the stuff and the attractions? And there there were NFL players all up on the uh, Bellagio fountains yesterday. With all of those NFL players up there, they were doing stuff for Fox News, sports, and for ESPN, and all these. And, I, and as I was driving by, I was picking out different people. I'm like, oh, that looks like him, or that looks like him. Because they're so, if you like football, even if you don't like football, it's a national event just to see all the different things that are going on on the Strip. It's really cool. And all of this stuff that's going on, they're pushing it out. There are hundreds of millions of dollars being poured into advertising because Doritos, Doritos turned the Luxor into a giant Dorito. It was one of the most magical things I've ever seen in my entire life. I got so hungry. It was just a great thing. And so all of this stuff, and we live here. We live here. Now you understand, since you live here, all of the plastic banana fakeness at this, right? You understand it, but it's cool to see. So I challenge you to go see it because it's just worth seeing every once. It, who knows when the next time we'll be here, okay? But there's a world that is enamored by likes. Oh, like us, follow us, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, Follow us here. Hashtag this. You know what the Lord says? Likes aren't important. Isn't that amazing? Likes are not important. It doesn't matter how many times it got retweeted. Likes are not important. You know why? Because the world hates Jesus. And if the world hates Jesus, it's going to have a problem with you if you are what? Godly. So here is a crazy thing. Why would anyone hate Jesus? Well, because of the works that he does. The Bible tells us later because of the uh, wonder that he creates and because of the words that he speaks. But here is a Lord, and the world hates him. Likes are not important. It's okay if you are not well-liked. Now, it doesn't mean be a jerk, okay? You, the Bible says you shouldn't care about being liked just uh, only for righteousness sake. If you have a trouble because of righteousness sake, okay, that's a different thing. 
But life is not about getting likes. Worship is healthy. Worship is always healthy. Notice this, that authority is present. In verse number 11, the Bible says, these things command and teach. What is godliness intended to be? It's something that God puts into our life by his authority. The Bible says, be steady, quiet, and do your own business, and to work with your own hands as I have commanded you. Understanding godliness, it's not just a preference. It's not just a behavior that I get to adopt or fall into. It's something I have to work towards. And God tells me, these things, here's the command. It's a command. He says this, these things command and teach. So it, I like that. Two things and it's done. Command and teach. What that means is this. You need to be godly. Okay. So you don't just tell people to be godly. You teach them how to be godly. And that's not just our, my position. That's not just my job. That's all of our jobs. You're supposed to be godly and teach other people how to be godly. That's all of our, by the authority that is present in Scripture, we are supposed to be godly, teach others how to be godly, and that they need to in order to be pleasing to God. Father, thank you for the time together tonight. I ask that it be an encouragement and help to these, my friends, as we seek to pursue you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.